We're on week two of a message series called Next Steps. This is from the, the books of Thessalonians, and these are letters that Paul wrote to a church in the town or the city of Thessalonica. That's where you get the name from. And so Paul's writing this ch- to this church because it, this church was, was interesting in that their, their, their setup, their startup was a lot different than you would think a church would be. Last week, Pastor Brian set this up by giving us some good backstory. I'm just going to quickly review, though, uh, in case you missed last week's message. Paul went on three missionary journeys, and on his second missionary journey, he planted this church in the town of Thessalonica. And while he was there uh, planting this church, he started to create kind of a, an up, uproar, I guess you could say. And they kicked him out of town within three to four weeks of being in the, the town. And so this church was very young when their, their pastor, their, their startup guy, when he left town, the church was very young. And Pastor Brian said last week that honestly, nowadays, the, the chances of success for that church would have been very low because the church was about three weeks old. Paul never had a chance to teach them like, next step questions. He never had a chance to answer questions that many of us face, like I was just baptized. Now what? What's my next step, right? He never had a chance to answer your questions like, I just found out this at work. Now what? I I just found out this about my spouse. So the doctor just told me this. What's my next step? I just joined a small group. What's my next step? What do I do next? And he never had a chance to answer those questions. And as a pastor, I have many conversations with people that ask the same questions. What is, what's my next step? Now what? What, sh- what should I do next? And so Paul wrote this letter. He does two things um, to this church that I think really show his pastoral heart um, to this community. The first thing that he does is he grabs some people from his small group and he says, hey, I can't go back there. Would you guys mind to go back there and check on them? Because I, you know, Paul couldn't FaceTime the church. He couldn't just grab his iPhone and, and check, hey guys, how's it going? You know, and they weren't posting on Facebook yet, so... He didn't know how, to, how things were going. Like he didn't, in fact, they didn't even have a Bible. You know, the Bible was actually being written during there. This was actually being written. And so they didn't have, in fact, this is interesting history fact. If you, if you like these, these kind of things, um, the books of Thessalonians are one of the first books of the New Testament that were actually written. It was actually pen to paper written before any of the gospels. They're thinking this was written somewhere around 20 years after Christ. Christ's um, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's between Thessalonians and Galatians. Anyways, there's your, there's your history fact. Moving on. Uh, but so Paul couldn't really, he didn't, he didn't have a way to check in on them. And so he grabs his, some guys from his small group. and says, well, you guys swing by that town on your way to me and just check in on them. Hashtag, I just did it. I see it. Paul had a small group. Hashtag, do you? We're starting our small group semester this week. And you're going to hear this theme that Paul relied on his small group. He asked them to do things for him. There's, there's something to be said about intentionally investing in positive godly relationships that you can partner with. We'll talk more about that later. But, but I would say if you haven't signed up for a small group, either grab your phone or check the iPad in the lobby. Um, anyways, but so Paul sends two guys from his small group. And they go and they, they check in on this church and then they come back to Paul and they report, hey, things are actually going pretty good. They have a couple questions, a couple things happening, but things for the most part are going good. So the second thing Paul does is writes them a letter. And this is the letter that we're reading right now. 
And through this letter, you can see him answering some of the questions like, how should I live knowing that Christ is coming back? Should I really worry about my job here and now? Like knowing that there's eternity. Like just answering basic next step questions. He also addresses some criticisms, which is what we're going to really get into today. As I was studying and preparing for this message, you can see this theme as you read through Paul's letters that you see in Scripture. But a lot of what he did, some of the chapters that he, he writes in his letters is addressing criticisms, either that the church was receiving or that he himself was personally receiving. And so he addresses those. And in chapter two, he doesn't actually come out and say, people are making fun of me, what should I do? But you can actually, that was my Paul. I'm going to have to apologize to Paul when I get to heaven for that one. <laughs> but he, he actually, he doesn't come out and say, I'm addressing criticisms, but he does respond to those criticisms. And I believe that through reading chapter two, we can get an answer to the question, as a Christian, what do I do whenever, it's like people are criticizing me, what's my next step? Like as a Christian, people are, or even just as a person, people are criticizing me, what do I do? What's my next step? And I think through seeing how Paul handles it, we can kind of pull some biblical truths out of there to see how, how we can handle it. Because let's be honest, all of us have either encountered or given criticism. Yes, some of you guys are actually doing it right now with your body language. You're very good at it. <laughs> no, but we've all encountered it or given it. In fact, th- this, this was 2,000 years ago, and Paul's dealing... See, criticism is not a new issue that we are, are now facing. In fact, Paul... I'm sorry, not Paul. Aristotle said this, to avoid criticism, it's easy. You just say nothing, you do nothing, pretty much just be nothing, and you'll avoid criticism. I don't want to be critical, but if you say nothing, and you do nothing, and you pretty much are nothing, you're going to get criticized, you lazy bum, right? At least get a job, right? Like, there is no way to avoid criticism. There's no way to do it. And I would actually go one step further to say that as a Christian, I should actually expect criticism because my values, the, the, the structure, the basis of everything that I'm making, Scripture actually says, listen, this world is not your home. You are a foreigner in this world. You're here to make a difference. You're here to make an impact for eternity and that the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And so I'm going to make decisions based off of that foundation that this world will not understand. And they might criticize it. Because let's be honest, the two reasons that most people criticize is either because they don't understand it or it's hitting a nerve, right? You're hitting, you're striking a chord somewhere. Those are the two reasons. And as a Christian, you should expect that that's going to happen. So, so the question isn't, isn't like, am I going to be criticized? That's not the question. That's not the question. And actually we can see that, that, um, Paul gets hit with it right off the bat. Paul gets hit with it right off the bat. And so what I want to do is I want to address how do we respond to criticism? And so if you want to grab your notes, Paul gives us three really practical ways that as a Christian, we can respond to criticism. And we can see it right off in verse one. And I just want to address this and say that I'm not trying to avoid criticism anymore. I'm not doing that. Because as I read through this and I start to process this, I realize it's going to happen. And they did it with Paul. And I want to go through, and we're not going to address all of 
chapter two, because it's, it's a pretty long chapter, but we're going to hit the highlights. And I want to look at a couple of the things that they criticized about Paul. And I want to see if you can identify with some of the stuff that he's addressing here. The first one, it starts right off in chapter one. Back that up for me so I can read that. He says, listen, you yourselves, he's writing this to his friends in Thessalonica. He says, you guys know that our visit was not a failure. The first thing that Paul hears is being criticized. The first thing they criticize about Paul is they criticized his ability. Like, who was Paul? He's not from here. He left at the first sign of trouble. Who's Paul? What difference, what difference did Paul really make? He criticized his ability. Maybe you can identify with that. What difference, what, do you, what difference do you think you can make? I mean, you're just a high school student. Or you just have a high school, high school diploma. What, what, what difference do you think you can make? People talk. People talk. They've been doing it for a long time. Next thing they criticized with Paul. They criticized his motives. They criticized his motives. Look at this. In verse 3, Paul's just knocking these out one after another. In verse 3, he says, We were not preaching out of deceit or impure motives or trickery. Oh, I know. (laughs) I see why you're carrying a Bible around. You just want everybody to know. You think you're better. Right? I see why you want to lead a small group. You just, you trying to get people all around you to think you're something. Uh Question motives, question motives. And next thing, they questioned his authenticity. Like, liar, he's not real, he's so fake. Look at this, in verse five, Paul says, go to the next before me, he says, never once did we try to win you with flattery. Like, I wasn't fake. You, you know I wasn't fake. And he goes on, he keeps saying, he says, as God is my witness, that, that I, I didn't, wasn't pretending to be your friend just to get your money. Let me tell you, this argument against the church is not a new argument. They're just a bunch of liars. They don't care about you. All that, all that preacher wants is your money. Right? Leave your checkbook at home. That's not a new argument. They're just a bunch of liars. They're fake. It makes me think of old Boudreaux. So if you don't know, I'm from the South. I grew up in Baton Rouge, and we have Boudreaux Thibodeau jokes. It's just how we make fun of Cajuns. So that's all you need to know. So Boudreaux's sitting on his front porch, and uh, he's just sitting there, and he's got a sign in his front yard that says, Talking Dog for Sale, $5. And Thibodeau walks by, and he reads the sign. He looks at his friend. He walks up to him, Boudreaux. So you got a talking dog? Boudreaux said, yep. So you were selling that dog? Yep. So where is it? It's in the back, tied up. So Thibodeau goes around the backyard. He walks up to the dog. Sure enough, doesn't look like anything special. Tied up to the backyard. He walks up. He says, you talk? The dog sits up. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> Thibodeau steps back. He says, my Lord. He says, well, well, say something. The dog says, well, not only can I talk. I actually have been trained in three separate languages. He says, and on top of that, I have hunted bird game all around the world. Africa, Australia, says, I've even hunted bird game all along the Gulf of Mexico. And old, old, uh, old Thibodeau says, my Lord. And you're for sale. He runs around to the front yard, runs up to his friend Boudreaux. He says, Boudreaux, that dog's amazing. He says, not only can he talk, he knows several languages. He's hunted bird game all around the world. He says, why would you sell him for $5? Boudreaux looks at him. He says, that dog's a liar. He ain't never left the backyard. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right? Oh, Christians, they're just a bunch of liars. A bunch of liars. The fourth thing they criticized with Paul, they criticized his work ethic. And this, one is, this one's weird to me because there is no middle ground here. It's, listen to what Paul says in verse 9. He says, Don't you remember 
I worked hard. I tried my hardest. I, I made sure to provide for myself so I wasn't a burden to you guys. Don't you remember that? Like, where is the middle ground? It's either he works too much or he doesn't work enough. Like, where is that fine line of, oh, you worked just the right amount, right? They criticized his work ethic. People are going to talk. People are going to talk. So here's what we need to understand. Is that as a Christian, I'm going to stop asking this question. I'm going to stop saying, how can I avoid criticism? That's not the question anymore. It's not, how can I avoid criticism? Because we've already said, as a Christian, my values, the basis for what I believe, the basis for the decisions that I make is different than the basis for the decisions of this world. So the question is no longer, how can I avoid criticism? The right question is, as a Christian, what do I do when people criticize me? Like as a Christian, where scripture says, they'll know you're a Christian by your, by your love, actually. They'll know you're a Christian by your love. And so it's not my theology, right? It's not how much scripture I have memorized through my life. It's, it, it's not how much I give to the church. Are these good things? Yes, it's by your love. So if I'm supposed to expect criticism, then what do I do when it comes? Like, do, am I just, does that mean I'm a doormat? Is that what that means? And so I think that as we read Paul's response to his criticisms, we'll see some basic truths of how as a Christian we can respond to it. And so we're going to see, this is what I want to talk to you guys about for the rest of this morning, is my next step, my next step after being criticized. What is it? My next step after being criticized. And the first one, I'm going to dive right in. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one. My first one is I need to respond, but not react. I need to respond to it, but I don't need to react to it. And you can see Paul, Paul jumps right into this and he responds to the criticism. I will respond and not react. Look at verse one. Let's go back to verse one. He says, you know, our visit was not a failure. Like he responds to it. I can hear the criticism. That didn't make a difference. Failure, right? And Paul doesn't ignore it. He jumps right in and he says, no, I'm going to respond to this. I'm not going to react to it. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Jay, what's the difference between responding versus reacting? Like, what's the difference? In both, in both cases, you're addressing the criticism. Well, let me just give you a couple. Responses are intentional. Reactions are emotional. Responses are intentional. Reactions are emotional. Listen, if you forget everything else, you're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a soul for the kingdom of God. It is that simple. And so I need to be intentional whenever I come at this. I'm not going to react at this. I'm going to respond to this in an intentional way. Listen, when you see that comment on your post, before you hit reply, I can't believe you. And you're like breaking keys. Before you hit reply, back away from the keyboard. Let your blood pressure drop just a little bit. Maybe pray. Let God speak to the situation. I will respond, but I will not react. I'm not going to let my emotions. A pastor that, that I like to, to follow, I listen to a lot of his messages. Um, his name is Craig Rochelle. In fact, if you've downloaded the Bible app, his church is the one that created the, the first Bible app. But Craig Rochelle says, listen, when, you're, when your emotions are high, your wisdom, your ability to discern and make judgments is very low. So back away. Back away. Let your emotions cool down. Find whatever that vent cap is for you and go and let off some steam, right? 
back away. Here's the next one. Responses strive for resolution where reactions for retaliation. Like, it's just a quick instinct. I'm gonna bite back. Oh, well, you think this is about me? Well, let me tell you about you, right? Responses strive to resolve the situation. No, our visit wasn't a failure and I'm gonna move on, right? Responses strive to resolve the situation. This one will, will rock your world. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer, a gentle answer will deflect it. So if you find yourself undergoing criticism, the volume sometimes with which we respond is almost inversely related to the level of resolution we're going to get out of that situation. See, as as I like, my blood pressure goes up and my volume goes up, what what do you expect them to do? I'm going to give you two examples real quick. Both of them, I will be the case study because both of them are about me. One of them I'm proud of, the other one, not so much. I'd been teaching uh, for about two to three years. This was in Tennessee. I was a young buck about 27, and I'm, I'm sitting there teaching, and in this, in this school where I was working, um, it was a gated school, and so the only way to get on and off campus was through the, the check-in at the security gate, and so I had forgotten my lunch, so Ruth, my wife, was bringing me lunch. We just had Isaac at the time. I remember Isaac was in the car with her, and so I'm sitting at the front of the school, and I can hear the interaction off at the, the check-in gate with the security guard, and I heard how disrespectful the security guard was being to my wife. And nobody talks to my woman that way, right? And I didn't back away. I sure enough didn't pray. And I marched over to that security guard and I let, him, I, I, I let them know, I let them know that my, my wife was not a student and they needed to treat her with a little respect. And you, ever, you guys ever heard the saying, like, I can't help what happens to me, but I can help how I respond to the situation? Well, this person reacted back, which what do you expect them to do? There was no gentle answer in what I was doing, right? So they react back at me, which then I react back at them. And the only thing that I remember that I said was don't treat my wife like a student because from that point on, I just went into like Jason Bourne mode and I was like in survival, (laughs) right? And I laid into that person. And I remember walking away from it. First of all, walking away and my wife goes, what are you, an idiot? (laughs) She's like, I did not need you to defend me in that situation, right? But the second thing I remember is walking away and I understood Proverbs 14, 17. It says the hothead does things they regret later. And you want to know when I regretted that? I regretted it immediately almost once my blood pressure came down a little bit. and I, I backed away from the situation, but I regretted it more. I was a worship leader at my church. I was a student leader at my church. And I remember leading worship on a Sunday morning. I had my guitar on. I was rock and roll, right? And I remember the, I saw that person with who I'm assuming is either a, a spouse or significant other come in through the back door of our church and sit in the back. And I remember I was leading worship and the pastor got up and said something acknowledging me on the stage. And, and I saw that person get up, grab their spouse and march right out the church. And I remember sitting there thinking, Oh, Lord, please do not hold me responsible for that. You are not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win souls for the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, I regretted that one. So let's fast forward. I'm now teaching here at Herman. And I was on the job for about two to three months. And I'm sitting in the hallway. Students are getting out of lunch, starting to pass me by. And I was talking to a peer, talking to one of my coworkers. 
And this other teacher walked up to me and asked me to do something. And I remember looking at that teacher and the thing they were asking me to do, when I got hired for the job that I was doing, my, my boss said, listen, there's a couple things teachers are going to ask you to do that I need you to say no to. And she just listed them right out. I need you to not do these because I need it to be black and white. This is what we've hired you to do. And I don't want you to be tied up doing this other stuff that they're just going to want you to do. Like I need you to be free to do your job. And so this person, this teacher came up and asked me to do one of those things that my boss said you cannot do. So I just looked at the coworker and very respectfully said, listen, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't help you do this, but I I can't do that. And right there in the midst of my students, in the midst of my peers, that teacher laid right into me, like swore me up one side and down the other, just yelling at me. And let me tell you guys, I was sitting there, I had matured at this point, and I was sitting there like, yes, Lord, thank you for this criticism, which I am receiving. (laughs) That's a lie, (laughs) right? I remember sitting there like, oh my goodness, And I I took a step, just one step back, because they were actually in my face. I took one step back and went, listen, I'm I'm sorry, I can't help you. And then I turned around and walked away so that I didn't say something, like backed away from the situation. So I got back to my office, and thank God nobody was in there. I just sat down. I'm like, all right, I'm going to let my blood pressure drop. I'm going to cool down for a minute, and then I'll figure out how to respond, not react. And then, bing, I get an email. And it was that teacher who emailed me the principal at the school, my boss, and my superintendent to let them know how disgusted they were with this bald man sitting right in front of you. And I'm sitting there like, I I was literally, I started shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just because I said no. And like, I backed away and nobody was in my office. So I prayed out loud and I'm like, Lord, I do not know what to do right now. Like literally I, and I just remember God, just this peace. And I just sat there for a second and I said, all right. And I picked up the phone. I called my superintendent and I said, can I respond to this situation? And the superintendent, she was great. Um, She actually, when she asked me to take on this new role, she knew I was a pastor. And she said, listen, I want you to take on this role because you're a pastor, not because you're a good teacher. She said, because you're going to have to tell teachers no sometimes and they're probably going to hate you. And I need you to respond like a pastor. I was like, yay. (laughs) Case in point, right? And I called the superintendent and said, can I respond to this? And she said, yes. And so I responded. Do you want to know when I didn't regret that? When it was a Christmas Eve service here at this church. And that person who hadn't been to church in years came through one of our doors And I was able to walk up to them with the biggest smile and say, welcome to our church. Welcome home. Listen, you're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win souls for the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to make myself justified. I'm trying to make a difference for the name of Jesus. Responses, not reactions. Here's the last one. Responses are issue-focused, where reactions are people-focused. Like, I can hear the critique against Paul. What difference did Paul make, right? Paul, such a failure. And listen to Paul's response. Let's go back to verse one here. Paul says, my visit was not a failure. Paul respond, he responded to a personal criticism addressing the issue. Like you see, see some, they were annoyed about something and they took it out and attacked Paul very personally. And Paul said, I need to hear something. Something is going on here. And it was the visit. And he goes, okay, listen, our visit was not a failure. Responding to the issue, not attacking the person. 
right? Responding to the issue. As I was preparing for this and kind of meditating on this, responding, not reacting, I heard a message where a pastor said, listen, there's three basic ways that a Christian can respond, not react to criticism. And this is not in your notes. You can write this down if you want to, but I just thought that's gold. And so I want to really quickly give these to you. The first one, the first type of response as a Christian we can have is we can have no response. Listen, sometimes not responding is the best response you can have. Just because they commented that on your post does not force you to have to respond to it. You with me? Sometimes just walking away from it and leaving it alone is the best response you can have. Not responding is a response. Not responding is a response. I think of Jesus. So Peter, who saw Jesus like was there whenever they tried him for things that he didn't do. And he was there when they beat him for the things that I would do. And he was there when they hung him on a cross for us, right? For me. And listen to what Peter says in first Peter. He says, when they hurled insults, when they criticized and mocked him, he did not retaliate. Responses, not reactions. Responses are intentional reactions retaliate. He did not retaliate. I would say he did respond. I would say Christ responded. Not responding is sometimes the best response you can have. Not responding. The second one is a verbal response. Sometimes something does need to be said. Like maybe there, there's incorrect information or something here, and you just need to bring some correction. You need to address the issue and then move on. But before you address the issue, I can hear all of you thinking right now, oh, that's mine right there. That's what I'm going to do. 100% of the time, that lets me say what I want. That's not true, right? This is one of the three options. And before you say, okay, I think I need to verbally address this situation, I would challenge you to read James chapter 1, verse 19, and pray it over yourself. I pray this over myself. I've gotten to the point now to where I proactively pray this over myself. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, be quick to listen. Hear what the issue is. There's something going on here. Be quick to listen to it. Don't just shrug it off. He says, but be very slow to speak, slow to respond to it. And then he takes it one step further. He says, you know what? Also, be slow to get angry, like slow to anger, slow to speak, but quick to hear what they're trying to communicate to you, even if it's a personal attack. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I will respond. I will not react. The last one is a learning response. Sometimes something's wrong. Sometimes you got junk in your teeth and you don't even know it's there and you need somebody to tell you it's there, right? You got something in your life that needs to change. Can I just, can I just ask as your pastor, who in your life has permission? Who in your life has permission to tell you the things that need to change? Because you have blind sides. I have blind sides. And who in your life have you intentionally put there Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 15. It says, if you listen, listen, quick to listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Who in your life have you said, this is my inner circle. These are the people that I trust with constructive criticism. These are the people that I trust to bring me those things. Like Paul had it. Listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians in verse 8. He says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news. Listen to me, Sunday morning is good. This is good. This is awesome. 
but it's not enough. It's not enough. And Paul says, we didn't stop with that. We actually shared our lives with you. That's the whole point of a small group. And if you don't hear anything else from me, please hear my heart for you. And that is that you would intentionally have a circle around you of people that have two things in mind. There's more to this life than this life. Let's live for something bigger. Let's live for Jesus. And the second thing is we can always get better. So let's all of us together say, I'll watch out for you. You watch out for me. Not like take care of my own. No, 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 no. Like I'll spot your blind sides so that you can get better. Will you please spot mine so that I can get better so that we can make a difference? Like if, if you hear nothing else, I would beg you to put yourself, that's what small groups are all about. Hear me. I could talk about this for hours. You want to know what got me back in church? It was not the preacher. It was the friend that I met when I was in a small group in 11th grade. That's what got me back in church. You want to know what kept me in church? It was the relationships that I got by intentionally sharing my life with people. And you got to be intentional about it. Don't let it be those haphazard relationships that you just have because you work together. I will be intentional about those people because I need them to call my blind sides. Our small groups this semester, uh, we're going to actually mobilize our small groups this semester. So if you've never been in a small group, you can go to this website and just check it out. We have over 30 small groups. We're going to be adding small groups this week. But if you've never been in a small group, I would, I would ask you to just check it out because this semester is different than any other and that we are mobilizing the small groups and saying, hey, let's take your inner circle, your group, and, and let's remember that it's about making a difference. And so each small group is going to pick a service project. And on July 13th, we're going to partner with a nationwide day called Serve Day. And as a church, all of our small groups are going to make a big difference in this community by making a bunch of small differences in this community. It could be as simple. I know one small group is going to go to a laundromat. They're actually called Laundry Love. And they're going to go to a laundromat and just bless people and help them wash their laundry, pay for them to wash their laundry, just take care of them. Like, it could be as simple as taking your small group and cleaning that, that elderly person's yard in your neighborhood. It could be as big as contacting your principal of your local high school and saying, hey, what can we do to help you guys clean up over the summer? Like, let's, we're going to make a difference by making a bunch of small differences. So if you've never been in a small group, I would challenge you. This is the semester. Intentionally, intentionally put those people in your life because people will criticize you. Make sure that you've got people in your life that give you the criticism that you can trust that will make you better. I got to move on. Um, The second one. So my response to criticism, what is my next step? I need to respond. I need to not react. The second one is in the midst of criticism, I need to not forget my purpose. In the midst of criticism, remember you have a purpose. In the midst of criticism, remember God has called you here for a reason. Like you weren't randomly born and put on this world in 2019. It was, it was intentional. And so remember that that purpose is there. And I would challenge you to say that we all have the same purpose. We all have it. And Paul actually hits on it in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to what he says. Our purpose is to, yeah, some of you guys are getting it. Please God, not man. How dangerous, how, how quick, how deceptive it is to fall into the trap of living your life to please man. 
how tangible it is. Pleasing men, the reason that it's easy is because it's done by what I produce, right? It's done by what I, I accomplished this and it pleased everyone. Almost strokes the ego a little bit. Pleasing God starts with your heart. Pleasing man is the quality of my actions. Pleasing God is the content of my heart. Pleasing God is who you actually are when no one else is around. Pleasing God, not man. Because God, Paul goes on to say in the next verse, he said, God alone can know your heart. He alone sees your heart. And so you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And you can please man and be completely not pleasing to God. Because it doesn't, start with the, it doesn't start with your actions. It starts, in fact, here, I got this saying for you. Ready? Pleasing God starts with your heart, not your actions. Pleasing God starts with your heart, not your actions. Make this your prayer. Like, like David says in Psalms 19, he says, Lord, let the words of my mouth and let my heart, let my heart please you. Like who I really am. Let it be pleasing to you. Pleasing God starts with your heart. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, God, let me never do anything wrong and always rise above criticism, right? God, let my head always be shiny. And no, no, that's not what he says. He says, God, let my heart, let who I actually am please you. You know why God chose David to be the king of the nation of Israel that would unite the nation? It was not because he was overqualified or underqualified. In fact, I would say he was under. Do you know why God chose David to be the king of Israel? It was not because he was perfect. It was because of the content of his heart. Do you know why God will choose you and work through you? It's not because you're perfect. Because let's be honest. Let me just set you at ease. You will make mistakes, right? It's not because we're perfect. Do you want to know why God will choose you? It's not because of your experience, whether you're over-experienced or under-experienced or you're embarrassed about your experience. God will choose you and he will work through you to make a difference in someone else for one reason and one reason alone. I'm preaching, people. It is because of the content of your heart. That heart that comes to God and says, God, this right here, let it please you. Like who I really am, because you alone know the motives of my heart. Let it be truly pleasing to you. And you know what, God, look what, I'm gonna prove it to you. First Samuel, God is selecting the king. And he comes and he says, listen, out of all of these people, you're picking the wrong people. And he selects David. And look at what he says. People judge by outward appearance. People pleasing is the quality of what you produce. He says, but God, but God looks at your heart. And you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? If I truly submit my heart to God and say, God, let this heart be pleasing to you. God will change you from the inside out. You see, so many times we come to God with a list of God, if I can get all of this in order, then you can use me. And God says, no, leave your list at the door. Bring me your heart. And God will work in your life if you truly surrender your heart to him. He will work in your life and through your life. And you know what'll happen? You will do things and you will find yourself in a place with God that surpasses anything that was on your list. Just give him your heart. Just give him your heart. 
And, and it'll work. This is what Paul says. This is why Paul can say this. Right after he says, God examines the motives of your heart, Paul can then say this. He says, because we wanted to live a life, live in a way that is worthy of God. Because Paul had the order correct. It starts with the heart. And then it works its way out to the actions. Surrender your heart to God. I could stay there too. Come on, somebody. Y'all got another hour? Let's keep going. You're like, no, I'm hungry. Let's finish this thing up. Uh, Before I give you this last reason though, I wanna show you the verse because some of you guys have been under, maybe you've been under criticism your entire life and you find yourself here listening to this and you're seeing everything through critical eyes. Like the criticism that you have yourself experienced has caused you to put up so many walls, you find yourself on the defensive and all you're doing is deflecting shots. You know, well, pfft, he does that. I wouldn't have done it that way. You see everything through the lens of a critical heart. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you've undergone such harsh criticism in your life that it's actually caused you to flip the mirror and you see yourself through those same critical eyes. Like you are your own worst critic now. Your self-talk is horrible. And in the midst of criticism, hear me, if criticism can't break you, it can sure enough distract you. And God would come to you and say, in the midst of this, please remember there's more to this life than this life. Paul didn't forget it. Paul kept his focus. Listen to this. I'm gonna jump around for a couple verses. Listen to what his focus was in the midst of, of responding to criticism, in the midst of not losing, not forgetting his purpose. Listen to the focus. It shines clearly through. In verse 17, that's, that's where we'll pick it up. Verse 13, he says, therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received this message, you adopted or accepted what we said. Keep going. He says, and this word is continuing to work in you. Keep going. It says, dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you, our heart was with you. Keep going. We tried very hard to come back and see you. Go to that last one. He says, because when this whole thing wraps up and God calls us home, our pride and joy is not going to be on the doctrine that we preached our pride and joy is not going to be on, on how much money we invested in the kingdom of God. Are those things good? Are those things important? Yes. But he says our pride and joy when we come before Jesus at the end of this whole thing is going to be you. In the midst of criticism, don't lose your focus. In the midst of criticism, I need to remember that there's more to this life than this life. And I need to not lose my focus. Do you want to know how to rise above criticism? So remember one simple thing. This life, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about others. This life, I'm going to be a little blunt, it's not about you. It's actually about that person that's criticizing you. This life is not about you. It's actually about that neighbor that needs to know before cancer rips through their body and takes them into eternity. They need to know that there is a savior that died for them. This life is not about me. It is about others. It is about others. I think of Jesus the night before he went to the cross. 
He knew what was about to happen. He knew the criticism. He knew the mocking. He knew the persecution, the pain. He knew exactly what was about to happen. And he said, there's one thing I need to communicate to these people and I can't do it with words. So you know what he did? He took the form of a servant and he got down and did what only slaves did. And he washed his disciples' feet as if to say, listen, if you don't remember anything else that we've done over the past three years, remember this. This is not below me. So it shouldn't be below you. This life is not about me. It's about others. I can prove it to you. Listen to the words of Christ. He says, listen, the son of man, I stepped out of heaven and I came to earth for one reason. What is it? To serve others, to lay my life down for others. This life is not about me. It's about others. Listen, our God in heaven, he is a father that has lost his children. And he's saying, will you please help me? Yeah, but God, you don't understand. You don't know what they're saying about me. He's saying, will you please help me? There's more to do here. Yeah, but God, you don't, they're wrong. They're wrong. Will you help me find my lost children? I, uh, I have four kids. My third in line is my oldest girl. Her name's Abigail. And around the holidays, uh, we went to L.O. Bean, the outlets in Freeport. And we were looking at the toys. Everybody's having fun. They set up trains up there in the holidays. And um, not real trains. That'd be insane. <laughs> little play trains. But we're sitting there looking. And I remember turning around. And Abigail was gone. <sighs> and I had three of my four. And I remember, I didn't care how foolish I looked. Dang it. <laughs> I remember running through that store screaming for my daughter. And do you know how mad I would have been if one of my kids came to me and said, Dad, will you, will you buy me some ice cream now? I would have been like, will you help me find my child? Because I've lost her. In the midst of criticism, I know it hurts. And I know it's not fair. But there's more to this life than this life. And God is saying, will you please not lose your focus? That is why we're building a new building. It is not to have a new building. It is because there are people that need to hear the truth of God's love. So in the midst of criticism, I need to not lose my focus. This life is not about me. It's about others. I want to pray for you guys. First, I want to pray for you because God wants to work through you. And he wants to take what has been a test and turn it into a testimony and bring a healing in your heart. And then I also want to pray for, for those of us in here that you hear me saying God is a father that has lost his children and you're thinking, that's me. I've never given my life. I've never said, God, let my heart be pleasing to you. If that's you, I would say it is a simple heart decision that says, you know what? No one around me knows this, but my heart right now, I'm dying inside. And you come to your father and you say, Lord, I don't understand this life. I don't understand all of the Bible, but I believe. God, please take my heart and let it be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for each person here. God, whether it's those that have just surrendered their heart to you or those of us that have followed you our entire lives. Lord, I pray that we would see the heart of our Father. Lord, I don't know what what each of us are walking through, but you do. 
because you see our hearts. And Lord, I pray right now for each heart here that it would truly be submitted to you and say that, that the cry of our church would be, let my heart please you and you alone, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing where criticism has broken, that you would bring uh, purpose where criticism has ripped it away. Lord, let us have focus that this life is not about us. It is about those you came to save. And Lord, we say use us to reach those. In Jesus' name, amen.